Bullock, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer. Welcome to the latest episode of the 2019 No-Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, Farming Green with No-Tiller Rick Clark, is brought to you by Midwest Biotech. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, which is available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about new episodes when they're released. I'd like to take a moment to thank Midwest Biotech for sponsoring today's episode. Midwest Biotech markets the complete line of Chandler crop products that enhance plant growth and soil health. To improve soil health, farmers need reliable and easy to understand measurements of soil biology, chemistry, and structure. Midwest Biotech recently opened their new soil health lab to provide practical information based on quick and affordable methods, including the Solvita suite of soil health tests. Contact Midwest Biotech to learn how you can manage carbon, nitrogen, and other important resources that contribute to soil health and your bottom line. Visit them at MidwestBioman.com. To Rick Clark, Farming Green is a systematic approach to regenerative soil health, and that's what he brings to the 7,000 acres he manages at Clark Landing Cattle. A main component of his no-till system is maximizing cover crop performance and planting his cash crops into living covers to build biomass, suppress weeds, recycle nutrients, and feed soil microbes. During a recent presentation at the Pennsylvania No-Till Alliance Field Days, the Williamsport, Indiana no-tiller of non-GMO corn, soybeans, wheat, and alfalfa shared details about his unique system that have allowed him to successfully no-till crops into green covers without applying pesticides, fungicides, insecticides, or even sort of fertilizer. He goes on to explain how he saved hundreds of thousands of dollars on inputs in 2019 and shows that ROI rather than yield drives his regenerative farming system. Please join me in welcoming Rick Clark. We've been no-tilling soybeans for 15 years. We've been no-tilling corn for 10. We've been doing cover crops for 10, and we've been farming green for eight. And I will explain my definition of farming green. A third of our farm is in a three-crop rotation, corn, soybeans, and wheat. Another third of our farm is in a, in a four-crop rotation, corn, soybeans, wheat, and alfalfa for a dairy. And the last third of our farm is in transition to organic, and we were just approved on Monday for our first organic certified acre, so I'm very excited about that. We are 100% non-GMO on all crops. We use no starter fertilizer. We use no fungicide. We use no seed treatment. And I'm talking on anything on the farm, whether it's organic or not organic. And we use no insecticide. We, we get to a thing that I call balance. It's, it's coming up on my presentation here, but please, please remember that what I'm up here talking about is very advanced stuff, and this works in my system at home. I can't guarantee that it'll work anywhere else, and this, this region I'm in is way different than where I come from farming, so please keep that all in mind as we're going forward here. Farming green, planting the cash crop of corn and soybeans into a living, growing green cover crop. Termination may not occur for up to 30 or 45 days after planting, but it typically has happened within three to five. Here in this audience, that's probably a common thing that gets done, but where I speak a lot, people don't understand how you can do things like this. The benefits that I see of farming green, it's maximizing what the cover crop was intended to do. So. If you are planting something like a cereal rye, it is going to sequester nutrients for you. 
I will not terminate that rye until after I've planted because I want that cereal rye to bring in as many nutrients as possible. And that's why I can eliminate the inputs that I'm using. Nitrogen fixing, if you've got a legume package, we want to let those legumes go as long as we can. I will not plant corn until after Mother's Day now. And I want to hopefully get 50 to 60 pounds of nitrogen fixed with the legumes. I'm going to mineralize another 50 or 60, so I'm already at 120. I don't need much more nitrogen. Our top end on our farm is about 140 pounds. So if I can get a little bit more out of these cover crops, we're real close to not needing any more nit synthetic nitrogen. Growing carbon. Erosion control, which in this area would be huge. We have to be able to keep this soil in place. Um, I saw a video last night that this state should be very proud of. Um, I, I'm sorry, I don't re know, remember names of streams, but there's a stream running through Steve's farm that I would walk on that right now, and I would take a glass and take a drink of that water right now. It was that clean. That's what you need to do. Increased pounds of biomass. What the system I'm developing is all about biomass. When we're laying down the cereal rye, we're putting down close to 8,000 pounds of biomass. That mat is there to suppress weeds, feed the microbes, armor the soil, and limit evaporation. I don't think we think about that enough. If it's night, we, where I'm from right, the weather we're having right now, uh, we've been in a, in a, in a boiler, boiling pot. We've been about three and a half weeks at 92 degrees. And anywhere where there's bare soil, I, the, the temperature soils is well over 120 degrees. Absolutely cooking the microbes. You keep this kind of armor on the soil and you're protecting it from the sunlight bearing down and in return, the water is not evaporating and leaving the profile. Nutrient sequestration of cereal rye. This, this really was an idea I had about five years ago. We went out and collected cereal rye at 12 inches. So you have to take about a two foot by two foot square. You clip everything off, you throw it in a bag and you overnight it to the, to the lab and they come back with these results. So at 12 inches, which I would guess in, in the region that I farm in, most cereal rye is killed at 12 inches because guys don't want it to get out of control. It has already pulled in 82 pounds of nitrogen, 15 pounds of P2O5, and 76 pounds of K2O. This, this particular field is going to be planted to soybeans, and soybeans need and love K2O. 18 inch rye, this is four days later. Four days. 18 inch rye had 120 pounds of N in it, had 20 pounds of P2O5, which is the equivalent of 44 pounds of O460, and it had the equivalent of 213 pounds of potash. I don't need any potash for that field. It's all right here in this cereal rye crop. What we're starting to also see here is why it is difficult to plant corn into cereal rye. Look how much nitrogen this cereal rye's got tied up. That's why so many people say you can't do that. Well, you can, you just need to now change your nitrogen program. You need to have more nitrogen up front. Or 
figure out a way to let get the rye to release these nutrients quicker. 28 inch rye, 281 pounds of potash that this crop has sequestered out of the ground. Note, dead rye sample was taken two months after termination. This particular field was terminated on June 1st. So by August the 1st, you do the math right here, we, we maxed out at 281 pounds of potash and there was only 65 pounds left in that plant, meaning the difference between those two is what was released from my bean crop. That's why we don't use potash anymore. We haven't used potash for five years. Haven't used DAP for five years. We haven't used lime for five years. Our pH is 6.8 and still climbing. We've taken all those inputs away. What drives our system? Building soil health, period. If I lose my soil health, I've lost it all. And I think that by reducing the inputs and reducing chemicals and being a no-till farmer and being a cover crop farmer and being a good steward and not being on the land until it's fit, all of those things build soil health. If I lose any of that, I'm gonna to have to start over and bring potash back and bring DAT back until I can get my system back to work and stand on its own again. I'm not doing that, folks. I will sacrifice yield to maintain soil health because it's worth too much to me. Diversification. We are finding that it's not only good to be a cover crop farmer, it's good to be a cover crop farmer with diversification, meaning if you have the ability and the time in the fall weather permitting, get as many species in this cocktail as you possibly can. Because we don't know all what these microbes want to eat on. So let's give them a variety. Our cocktails are 14, 15, 16 way mixes all the time. The minimum that I'll do, well, the minimum is, is one, uh, cereal rye when the ground's freezing. Anytime before that, we try to put on at least six or seven things with the cocktail. All of that gets to be a challenge because I'm trying to reduce the chemical load on the farm, whether it is an organic acre or not. So I have to come up with a cocktail package that I can mechanically terminate. That becomes difficult, but it can be done. Cereal rye, the perfect time to terminate cereal rye is at anthesis. That's when it's dropping pollen. When cereal rye is dropping pollen, the lignin, the protein lignin is at the highest level and you can snap it like a pencil. That's why cereal rye and a roller crimper work so well together, but it's gotta be done at the right time. Every other species of cover crop can be done at that right time. You just have to learn when those times are. Cash crop rotation. I know this is difficult because you can only raise crops that you have a market for. I know that. But we've got to try to find more markets or get people to help us to find more markets. And it would be awesome if I didn't plant corn until about every five years on my farm, on an acre. That would be awesome. But again, I know it's bound to what your market is, but try to get as much cash crop rotation as you can. Armoring the soil. 
building human health. I don't think we think about this enough. I can remember back when I was in my 30s where we put insecticide on the planter and I'm looking at the box and it's got a skull and crossbones on it. And I'm thinking to myself, why am I even touching this stuff? And I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just not doing that anymore. I care about the health of my family and I care about the health of my employees and their families. Being a good steward, that's just self-explanatory. Return on investment, that's what this whole system is about. This is the last time I'm gonna push the button on this, this slide that says what drives our system. You don't see yield on there, do you? Because yield does not drive my system. Yes, I know you have to have yield and yield is part of the calculation for ROI, I know that. I care about being a low cost input producer and being a good steward and being a conservation-minded individual. That's what drives me. I don't think I put the slide on here, but on our farm right now, our break-even yield is 135 bushel. That's it. So yes, I do care about yield, but it doesn't drive my system. ROI does. Balance. This is what I was talking about. We're trying to build a symbiotic relationship with Mother Nature. We have taken away the salt and the acid and all those things that are just scorching the soil. And when you take that stuff away, you now are bringing back all of the beneficials. The only reason why we need to plant corn with, with rootworm enhancement or traits is because the predator that preys on the rootworm is not there in a prevalent enough fashion to keep it under control. So we've eliminated all those things that are harming that beneficial and we have those beneficials back on our farm. That's why I told you we don't use potash anymore, we don't use DAP, we don't use lime. I mean, these are all validations. If you want you don't always have to have it on a piece of paper to validate what you're doing. I told you our average pH is 6.8 and it's rising. That, to me, validates what I'm doing is correct. We haven't put any lime on in over five years. Data. Data, data, data. It's so important to keep your data. Good data leads to good decisions, which then puts you in a position of strength. We are testing something on our farm all the time. I've got six tests going on right now. Nitrate tests, cover crop tests, tests with, with crops uh, against certain cover crops and not. And how did we terminate those cover crops? Was it mechanically terminated? Was it done with a roller crimper? Was it done with a flail mower? Whatever. There's all kinds of tests going on. When I do these tests and I collect this data, I can then sit down and make a good decision for the rest of the farm into the future, and I can now, I'm in a position of strength to where I can use my brain power in other places. I'm not sitting at home pushing the pencil saying, oh my gosh, I gotta have 247 bushel corn or I'm not gonna pay my bills. I don't do that stuff. Input reductions, this is what I'm talking about. From 2011 to 2018, 
we have reduced our diesel fuel by 50%. We have reduced horsepower by 64%, and those two obviously go hand in hand as horsepower goes down, and so does your diesel fuel. Synthetic nitrogen, we used to be at 220 pounds per acre, we're now at 110, that's a 50% decrease. That, that now is gonna go to zero because we haven't used any MAC for two years now, I should have changed that. Potash, zero. Lime, zero. Chemistry, um, $40 in 11 and 18 in 18. When I update this, I won't, I won't update this until 19's over because obviously we're still gonna use a little diesel fuel and we may use a little nitrogen still, but I don't wanna change that, but I just wanna give you an idea of where we're at today on chemistry. This number right, right here is $18 an acre for 2018 and what that is is an average across all of our crops. This year it's five, five dollars. We've spent $32,000 on chemistry, that's all we spent. Not, there's not one bean acre on our farm that has any chemical on it. Now, I wanna take the next slide, shows what those reductions mean in real dollars in your pocket. The diesel fuel savings is $35,000 a year. The synthetic nitrogen savings is 110,000. The MAP savings is 138. Potash, 142. Lime, 53. Chemistry, $153 saved. These are savings. We're saving $632,000 a year by reducing our inputs. Now do you see why my corn break-even is 135 or 40, whatever, somewhere in that area, 137, I think. And, and folks, these dollar numbers repeat every year because we're saving this money every year. That, to me, is pretty powerful. Stability. This is unbelievable. All you need to, all you need to care about here is standard deviation is, is yield. So before cover crops, our standard deviation in corn was 28 bushel meaning our yield would vary 28 bushel throughout the year. That's just, that's unacceptable. Our soybean stability, our variation before was, what is that, 8.8? 8.8 bushel, 8.8 bushel soybean yield variance throughout the year. Since we've implemented cover crops, our stability in corn, our, our standard deviation has gone from 28 to four. Now what this does for me, barring a mother nature disaster, which none of us can, can predict that or stop that. But if, if the markets wanna take a run and, and give us another 50 cents on the corn market, I'm pretty comfortable on knowing what my expected yield's gonna be because I have stabilized the system. And I can go out and I can forward contract very comfortably these kind of numbers. Again, good data leads to good decisions, leads to positions of strength. That's a position of strength. People ask me, well, what's your yield drag? They're in there. Right now, 
we are on a trajectory of increasing yield year over year at four bushel to the acre on corn. Soybeans, we are at a 1.3 yield increase. So right here is where I give you my definition of soil health. It's this simple. As inputs go down and yield goes up, how can I not be building soil health? It's just that simple. There doesn't need to be any fancy calculator. I've taken inputs, I've showed you, I've taken them to almost zero and yield is still climbing. I am totally convinced, totally convinced that as soil health increases, so does human health. Everywhere you read, it's how are we gonna feed this world by 2050? How are we gonna do this? How about if we start today and put a little more nutrient density back into our food? It, we have 30% less nutrient density today in our foods than we had 25 years ago. You would have to eat eight oranges today to equal one orange 50 years ago. That, that, that is unacceptable. Unacceptable. Okay, equipment. There is no no-till coulter. I think you're really going to want to take a look at this guy right here. This thing right here. That is a serrated saber-tooth edge. It does three main things. It eliminates hairpinning. There no longer is hairpinning when I'm driving through these no-till fields. And if you don't know what that means, it's when you go through this high residue, like I see in a lot of these fields around here, it does not take that residue into the seed trench with it. It cuts it on the surface and leaves it on the surface. The saber-tooth part of this is lifting and crumbling the sidewall as you're rolling through the field. So three-fourths of the seed slot is already closed before you even get to this guy right here. That's huge. You know, last night we had a, a meeting here and, and guys were talking are asking the question, you know, in these systems that we have, can't we go out and plant sooner in the spring? after a rain event, probably can. But the thing you've got to remember is you've got to close that seed slot properly. If we just slab it together, slab wet dirt back together, and it doesn't rain again and turns off 90 degrees and the sun bakes it out, that crop's not coming through the ground. And you're gonna be so upset and so mad and you're gonna be, be saying you're never gonna do cover crops again Hey, I don't want this to sound like this is all easy layup stuff. This is very difficult, very challenging. There are disasters along the way. And then the third thing that this opener does for me, it's not so much a V slot, it's more of a U trough. So now my Keaton firmer can actually touch the seed. Because in a seed slot, the Keaton firmer rarely touches your seed of corn because the corn's way down in the bottom of that V and the Keaton firmer can't get down there. And another thing I want you to understand is I plant very deep. I plant corn at three inches and I plant beans at one and a half. 
This is a Martin Till spader wheel with a depth blade on it. This absolutely pulverizes the seat, the seat trench, destroys it. Then that drag chain comes behind it and smooths it all back out. So my seat to soil contact is, is greatly increased. My um, uh, disease pressure has gone down and we have some of the best stands that, that, that we've ever had. We'll come back to Rick Clark's talk in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Midwest Biotech, for supporting today's episode. Midwest Biotech markets the complete line of Chandler crop products that enhance plant growth and soil health. To improve soil health, farmers need reliable and easy-to-understand measurements of soil biology, chemistry, and structure. Midwest Biotech recently opened their new soil health lab to provide practical information based on quick and affordable methods, including the Solvita suite of soil health tests. Contact Midwest Biotech to learn how you can manage carbon, nitrogen, and other important resources that contribute to soil health and your bottom line. Visit them at MidwestBioMan.com. Now let's get back to Rick Clark, speaking at the Pennsylvania No-Till Alliance Field Days. Weapon of mass destruction number one, drill. If you have a weed problem, plant 100 pounds of cereal rye and you won't have any weeds next spring. You will not. You will have weeds where you had a hiccup, your drill ran out of seed, you, you skipped or whatever. That's where your weeds are gonna be. But out in that cover crop, you won't have any. My weapon of mass destruction number two is a roller crimper from I&J Manufacturing here in the great state of Pennsylvania. Steve's got information on them that he can he can help you get in touch with. Or and there's one out here. And there's one out here. There we go. Against chemicals. I don't want to use chemicals anymore, so I'm trying to build these cocktail packages that I can terminate with a roller cramper. Okay. This is a cover crop idea that I had last fall. And it's 30 pounds of haywire oats, and I'm being very specific here. Haywire oats, because a haywire oat is a forage oat. So if you can get this out soon enough in the, in the fall, it will put on a lot more leaves and a lot more biomass and a lot more foliage. I need that biomass to protect these two items right here, Austrian winter peas and Balanza fixation clover, because I hope these two will survive the winter. This one's gonna winter kill. These two down here are going to win or kill. I will always have sorghum Sudan in every mix that I put out because sorghum Sudan promotes the growth of mycorrhizal fungi. Mycorrhizal fungi are the backbone of the communication between all microbes in the soil profile. So we need the, the mycorrhizal fungi there, and that's why no-till is so important to that because we don't want to disrupt their communities. This is what you hope it will look like then in the next spring. That's that clover. I'm planting green into Balanza fixation and Austrian winter peas. I mean, look at that. That's just a sea of white blooms on that clover. That is awesome. That is some of the best planting you will ever do in your lifetime. We did a forage test sample on this two days before I planted. That field right there had fixed 100 
and 75 pounds of nitrogen. I'm done. That's all we need. The question is, is it all gonna get released in time to help that cash crop? I don't have that answer today, but we're getting closer. We can at least fix the amount of in that we need to raise a pretty good corn crop. June the 2nd, rolling cereal rye ahead of the soybean planter. We did this because the rye was over 72 inches tall and it lodged. I've never seen cereal rye lodge in my life. This stuff was all over the place. Again, constantly being flexible to changing plans. Now, I wanted the planter as close to the, the rig as I could get. This is a little exaggerated here. They, didn't, they weren't quite this close all the way through the field. But that cereal rye, guys, is toast. It's over. It's gone. It's not coming back. Here comes the soybean planter. The row unit, the row cleaners, as you can see, are hardly doing anything. There isn't even, we're just, we're just planting right through that mat. Plant right through it. We're not separating it. We're not combing it out. We're not doing anything. Don't even need row cleaners on the planter. That's June the 2nd. There's July the 2nd. That's the same field. No chemicals. Nothing. Except what you just saw happen. I'm all about that. Grazing livestock. That's the next edition we're building fence, we're building infrastructure, we're grazing cattle right now as we speak, high impact, paddock grazing, quick move in, out movement, get the benefit of the saliva, the, the urine, the manure, the, the, the way the cow eats, they, they grab and pull, all of those things are building soil health on top of all the other things we're doing. This is a Romo. You've never heard of this, probably never seen it. Those are mower units mowing in between the cash crop. So this is organic cover crop no-till. That's what we're going to do. That's what we are doing. We are not tilling our organic acres. That's where, that is a, that is a terminated field of alfalfa. I will admit, I purposely helped terminate this alfalfa. I took a cutting of alfalfa off of that field last fall on October 25th on purpose because I wanted to try to kill it with winter kill. You can see how unsuccessful we were. But you see what the Romo can do for us as far as cleaning up Weeds or alfalfa, that's the same field. July 13th, organic certified corn. Weed suppression has helped out with the Romo. I got to looking at that. I had to go back and double take this on my phone, but look at the, look at the days separating there. I mean, when you, once you finally get some GDUs on your side, look, we planted, or we were Romoing on June 29th, and it's what, about V3? And just what, 15 or 16 days later, it's up to my shoulder. It's incredible how this crop has come along. But this is just things we're doing on this farm that are thinking of outside of the box. I'm being told that that unit you just saw run is the only one like it in the world, of that wide on 20 inch spacing. It's the only one in the world. Rolling 
roll crimping, cereal rye, and soybeans at V2. So what we did, we planted our beans when the uh, cereal rye was at boot stage. Cereal rye boot stage is about three feet tall. Those beans are at V2 and a half, almost getting to V3. About 45 days later, we came back and here we are, roll crimping that cereal. You can see it's dead and gone. I mean, once the cereal rye reaches anthesis, any time after that is okay to roll, it's going to stay down. And you can see the beans are just fine. They survived all that just fine and dandy. There they are. Those are the types of things that we're doing here. By doing it this way, boot stage on cereal rye is about April 28th. If I wait until anthesis, it's about June the 1st. I'd like to plant my beans before June the 1st, so this system works very well together. Pollinator strips. Again, it's all about building soil health. It's all about helping the beneficials. We had a field day at the farm about a month ago, had two entomologists there. They were absolutely blown away with what was going on in the activity in these pollinator strips. They couldn't believe the amount of bugs we had and the numbers we had. One out of every three bites of food is attributed to a pollinator. We better keep them around. The bad thing about this is it's an annual. So you gotta do this every year. The good news is if you can get this planted in mid to late April, you will be having something in bloom from June 1st through September 25th. And that gives all your butterflies and your bees and your songbirds something to be involved with for three, four months out of the year. To me, that's a win-win. What we're doing now, when when you follow non-GMO guidelines, you have to have a, a barrier or buffer strip between your neighbor if it's a cornfield. So I got the idea, well, gosh, if I'm going to lay out 40, 50 feet of production, let's just make it something useful. So we're planting these pollinator strips on the farm. We planted about 65 acres worth of pollinator strips on the farm this year. Thoughts to be aware of. Start easy, don't get in over your head. Because the last thing we want to do is get frustrated, throw your hands up and walk away. That's not what we want. Do not plant wheat following beans in rolled cereal rye. That's very important. Because the rye is dropping its pollen. More than likely, some percentage of that cereal rye got fertilized. Next spring, when you're out there looking across your wheat field and say, wait a minute, what, what is that tall stuff growing? That's cereal rye. And you're gonna get rejected at the elevator when you take a load of wheat into the, to the elevator. So please do not do that. So if wheat is in your rotation, it has to be somewhere different than if you roll terminate the rye. Now, if you come in and kill the rye at 12, 14, 16, eight inches tall with, with a glyphosate or something, that's a different story. I'm talking about roll crimping the rye. Know your date for winter kill. Steve, what is that here, roughly? Like a, a, an oat or a sorghum sudan or... Well, sorghum sudan is the summer annual, it's the first hard frost. Yeah. Oats and radishes are 
Usually here what, around October? Christmas time. So you wouldn't plant past what? October first? With, uh, with the cold season, all the oats and radish, yeah. that's about the end. Yeah. Okay. October 1st for this area. I'm pushing it to about October 15th. So the reason why this is important is if it's October 20th at my home, I'm pushing up against a frost that I'm not going to get a lot of benefit out of an oat or a or a, a tillage radish or a sorghum sudan. So I'm probably not going to put those in, in my mix. So what I am going to do, though, is I'm going to shorten my maturity of my cash crops so that I can get my cover crops planted in a timelier fashion. Be aware of hard seed. This will be a seed that you can't kill. Harry Betch will put out hard seed. We've got Harry Betch in every field on the farm. But it's, it's a sprig here and a sprig over there and a sprig here and a sprig over there. I'm not worried about that. It's okay. But you still need to be aware that some of these species create a seed that you can't kill with anything except mechanical or go out and pull them. It's okay to shorten your relative maturity of a cash crop. That's what I was explaining. We, we, were, we are in a region where you plant 110 to 116 day corn. We don't plant that anymore. We plant 100 to 106 or 107. Usually it's a 3.8 to a 4.2 bean. We are 2.1 to 2.6. I'm trying to get the cash crop gone so I can get my cover crop in place and maximize what I want it to do for me. Scout your fields. As you've noticed, I am pretty naked out there. I don't have any help with me. No seed treatments, no fungicides, no insecticides. You need to stay on top of what's going on. Keep plants attached. When you saw that planter going through 50 or 58 inch tall cereal rye, it's because they were still attached to the ground. They just wiggle through the planter. If you go out there and try to do a light disking or something ahead of the fact, you're asking for trouble, more than likely. Do not panic and ask for help, okay? Don't panic. More thoughts. Collecting good data is critical to success. I really should change that. Now, it's not, we're all collecting data. All of your equipment out there is collecting data. Are you using that data? Are you implementing that data? That's what's actually more important. Educate your landlords. Most will be supportive. Don't drop a bomb on them and just go out and decide you're going to plant cover crop on some field of theirs and they, they wonder what the, what the hell's going on. You need to view your cover crop as as important as your cash crop. I hope I've driven that home here today. I'm viewed as an outlier, someone that is not of the norm. And that's okay, but you got to have some thick skin sometimes because it, it gets old. I, I had two meetings last week with, um, with landlords. Both of, and they, they, I don't know, these guys probably know each other, but it doesn't matter. They both said the same thing. I just want to let you know that just about every neighbor that surrounds you has called me to take this farm away from you. I'm just let you know that. And, and I said, what's the reason why? Because you're so different from them. And I smiled and I said, thank you. <laughs> That's exactly what I want to hear. And then the landlord said, don't worry, you're not in jeopardy of losing this farm. We love what you're doing. Keep going. 
but it's because we are constantly educating them and and wanting them to come to the farm. Please come. You may live in Florida or wherever you live, but please come and see what we're doing. Continue to soil test because that still will tell the story if your system is crashing or not. And remember, I, what I'm, everything I'm talking about up here is pretty advanced, and I don't, I don't mean to, to belittle anybody, but just if you haven't started down this journey yet, don't think you can plant cover crops this fall and next spring take away all your inputs. It's not going to work like that. It takes four, five, six years into this kind of a system. You can't do that. Oh, yes, I can. Sacrifice yield to maintain soil health. I'm going to tell the same story I always tell on this. Planted a field of corn on May 15th at V2 armyworm infestation. Field's gone. In 24 hours, I ate the whole field. Leading up to that point, though, I have my retail plant manager happen to be going by, and he pulls over to say hi, and, and I'm out on my hands and knees, and he's like, wow, you got army worms. He said, he said you need to get uh, pyrethroid out of here now and kill these army worms. And I said, no, I'm not. Why would I do that? Well, Rick, they're going to take the field. Yeah, okay. It's V2 corn. Growing point's still in the ground. They're going to eat it off, which they did. You couldn't, there wasn't a green thing left in the field. Seven days later, corn grew right back up. Army worms were gone. Probably had a better stand, even stand, than I did before. But the point is, if I would have sprayed that pyrethroid, yes, I would have killed those army worms, and I would have killed 750 other beneficials along with it. No. I will sacrifice yield to maintain soil health. And I don't even know if that was a sacrifice of yield. But folks, don't get me wrong here. You have to have a cash crop to pay your bills. I told you it was May 18th when this happened. If this would have happened on June the 18th, that's a little different story here. Now you're talking corn coming out of the ground almost in July. I hope I'm never in that position, but it's really going to make me think if I have to save this crop and spray a pyrethroid, or am I going to stick to my guns? I, I don't know how I would answer that. I'm not going to answer that today. I always answer things like that in the moment. It does no good to talk about, you know, it's raining, it's rained for five days and there's forecast for rain for another week and you're going to go ahead and make your plans. Why? Your plans are going to change. Just wait until it's fit to be in the field and then make your plan of what we're going to do. Have five or six things lined up, but don't pick one of them. Eliminate crop insurance. No longer have crop insurance. I solely believe in the system I've developed here I no longer have crop insurance. So all you read about is how in the world are we going to get these prevent plant acres? How are we going to get paid for them? How is this going to happen? How's I don't even care anymore. But what I do care about is on those prevent plant acres, please don't just go out and disc and disc and disc to control weeds. Call your cover crop man or, or lady and plant some cover crops. What a great way to experience cover crops if you've never done it before. You're going to get paid prevent plant. 
So plant some cereal rye, plant some oats. I mean, actually, right now would be perfect. Sun hemp, sunflower, those types of things, the warmer season stuff, and just see how this stuff, stuff grows and how it acts. Plant green, plant green into living, uh, living growing cover crops. Planting soybeans into 72 inch rye. Planting corn into cereal rye. That's again, it's difficult. But it can be done if you change your nitrogen program. It's okay to have 12 plans. I've actually on like number 20 this year. We had so much rain. We did not plant one acre in the month of April. And I planted one day in the month of May. And everything else was June 2nd. I just got through planting field peas yesterday. That's what kind of world I'm living in. It's okay to have all these plans and you better have them because you're gonna go through every single one of them. Slow down and look for validations. Already explained the one I, I said about the line. That to me validates that what we're doing is right. Park your planter no matter the date. Every one of my neighbors was done mudding that's the word I'm going to use, mudding their corn crop in before I even started. It frees up all the county roads. I don't have to worry about meeting anybody. I can just go. Their crops are taking it pretty hard right now. I told you how wet it was early. We've had three and a half weeks of no rain and over 92 degrees. What do you think those fields look like now? They're getting hammered. They have no root system. They have nothing. We put in soil moisture probes across the farm. A soil moisture probe was designed to work with an irrigation system. You put these probes in the ground, they will tell you what the moisture is, at what level. They then help you be a good steward and turn on your pivot only when it's needed. So I got the bright idea. How about we use these things to determine how deep the roots are going? They work perfect for that. Before I came here to your great state yesterday, I checked our, some of our probes. Our cornfields right now are pulling 48 inches deep roots. Corn plants. Our soybean plants are pulling 42 inches deep. I think we got a, a root system there. But it's because of being a good steward. We weren't, we don't go out, we're not planting when it's too wet. We're not harvesting when it's too wet. We sit on our hands until it's right. That goes back to I'm sacrificing yield to maintain soil health. Don't plant corn in April again. I never will. Never. I hope I never plant corn before Mother's Day. Plant around moth flights. I know I'm about out of time. I want to go through this one. Oh, this is kind of cool. We put traps up in February. And we use pheromones for army worms. And we use pheromones for black cutworm. We are seeing the flights coming from the south starting in February. And by the time it's April the 10th or the 15th, we have determined where the flight maximum is. 
we know what the growth cycle is of these, these insects. So we are now altering our planting date around that moth flight because I will not spray that pyrethroid. So it's, it's all based on GDUs, just like your corn crop growing out here is based on GDUs. Those moths are the same thing. So what we're doing is we're planting the corn at the peak of those flights, of when those are gonna be at their biggest instar. Because by the time the corn comes out of the ground, that brood is gone. And our corn gets out of the ground and we're, we're trying to time it for the next brood. To, a, to get to point the corn to a point that it can outgrow what the armyworm or cutworm damage might be. So far, two years in, it's worked. Again, we had two beautiful days to plant corn and I waited because of that moth flight. And the corn, you saw some of the pictures of the corn. I think we made the right decisions. If you're not uncomfortable with what you're doing, then you are not trying hard enough to change. I challenge everyone here today to get a little uncomfortable. I think you'll like the way it feels. I'm proud to be a farmer, but I am more proud of the way I farm. Regenerative stewardship, thank you. Thanks to Rick Clark and the Pennsylvania No-Till Alliance for today's talk. To listen to more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Midwest Biotech, for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jgerlock at lessitermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or the Google Play Store to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our no-till insider daily and weekly email updates and dryland no-tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R and our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Julia Gerlach. Thank you for listening.